0: You're listening to the Sermon Audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our
1: website at mymillcreek.com. Our sermon series in First Timothy has brought us to chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. And if you'd like to find that in your Bible as I read the verses... Um, please do that. If you don't have a Bible, please find that in the Chairback Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, please take a Chairback Bible with you. 1 Timothy 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and... The laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we... Thank you for the opportunity this morning to study your word, knowing that it isn't true, that it, it is true and it is something that we can trust. And we thank you that um, we have the opportunity to hear it studied, explained to us by Pastor Jeremy. And we pray that you will lay the lessons from it upon our hearts today. Amen.
0: Amen. We began our first Timothy sermon series a couple months ago asking an important question, asking are we going to allow 1 Timothy to shape us or are we going to try to shape 1 Timothy into what we want it to say? In case you didn't know, it's a really important question when you come to God's Word. Are we going to be the type of people who say, whatever God's Word says, we are going to allow it to shape us, or are we going to try to shape it and make it say what we want? That's the way we started this sermon series in 1 Timothy. And and as as we have walked through this sermon series on 1 Timothy, we've been arguing that Paul's heart is to give Timothy God's blueprint for a strong church. God's blueprint for a strong church. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, Timothy, I want the church there in Ephesus. I want it to be a strong church. And here then is the blueprint. And we've walked through these seven pillars, or they're, the way we see it, seven pillars in 1 Timothy that we're wanting to understand And evaluate Mill Creek by. So the elders and I, we don't show up one day and try to mold Mill Creek into the church we want. Rather, we're looking at the blueprint and we're going, how does Mill Creek map on God's blueprint? We're not trying to shape 1 Timothy into what we want it to say. We're wanting 1 Timothy to shape us. And in that vein, as we've walked through this sermon series, we've been encouraged at times. We've considered Paul's doctrine... Paul's gospel, and by God's grace, Paul's doctrine, Paul's gospel, it's Mill Creek's. You can look at it. like You can read what Paul's gospel is. Christ came to the earth to save sinners. That's what we say. Bless the Lord. That part of the blueprint maps real well with Mill Creek's. Blueprint. There's other things that the elders and I are encouraged by as we're evaluating Paul's blueprint and ultimately God's blueprint versus the way we do Mill Creek things here. That that would include the way we're thinking through gender. I know that's a radioactive subject, but by God's grace, what, what Paul's arguing for, that's the way we're trying to live it out. Grateful that we have elders, the way Paul describes it. But as we've done this work, we've also realized there's some areas we have to grow. Last week... We considered widows in chapter 5, and, and Mill Creek, were are realizing there are some ways in which we need to improve in the care we have for widows, or more broadly, the vulnerable. What is more the, the, the sermon that I got the most feedback on out of everything so far in First Timothy? Surprising to me, I wouldn't have picked it, but it's deacons. Uh, First Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 8 to 13, deacons, I got Great phone calls, great conversations, great meetings, and just uh, so much confusion about deacons and the way we're actually doing it and how should we do it. And that's a good example then of the elders recognizing, okay, here's what Paul says we're supposed to do with deacons, but it's not quite what we're doing with deacons. So we got some renovating to do there God's house. But to this question, are we going to allow first timothy to shape us or are we going to try to shape it we come to our text today verse 17 so we're talking about elders to be clear we are in pillar number six of the seven if you stick with us long enough you'll get to hear all seven but we are on pillar number six which began last week in chapter five verse one the expectations and obligations for church members That's where we're at today, the expectations and obligations for church members. And the way Paul's argument is working in this section, he began in chapter 5, 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles open, you just glance up to it. He began by saying, hey, look, members, this is the way you're actually supposed to treat one another, older men in the church like your dads, older women in the church like your moms, and you wouldn't yell at your dad or your mom, don't yell at people in the church if they're in the church. Hey, this is how you're to treat younger men in the church, Timothy. Here's how you treat younger women. You wouldn't be weird to your younger sister, so don't be weird to the younger women in the church, Timothy. And then 3 to 16, this is how you're supposed to treat widows in the church. And he's arguing for the expectations and obligations of those in the church. Timothy was not being charged to lead the church to care for every widow in the city, but every widow in the church who was truly a widow. And we come today then to elders. What are the expectations and obligations for elders. But I'm sensitive this morning that that you might be sitting there going, elders, are you kidding me? Of all the topics we're going to talk about today, I thought we already talked about elders in this sermon series. Why are we talking about them again? Sensitive some of you may, if you were honest, say, this is boring. (laughs) Who wants to talk about that? Uh, Perhaps others of you it's, it's not that you're bored with the topic of elders, but, but as you come to the text today, you may be thinking, I don't really want to hear more about elders because what I'm really wishing that you would talk about is this crushing anxiety that I feel. Like, like when in these pillars is Paul going to talk about what it's like to not be able to sleep at night because you can't stop your mind from spiraling and your heart is racing and you're feeling out of control and you're just struggling so bad? Where's that in the blueprint? Maybe you walk in here and you've, you've got a marriage that's on the rocks and you're wishing that the blueprint called for how do, you, how do you navigate a really hard marriage when things are not going well. Or maybe you've got a kid that's walked away from the faith and you're thinking, when is that coming up? Because those are the things that are feeling really heavy on your heart. And all of those things are legit and all of those things are heavy. But, but here's what I want you to know on the front end because I think God wants to shape all of us this morning. God wants to shape us not only in how we interact with elders, so that's what this text is about, but he also wants to shape our priorities in what we think is important. See, while there may be other topics in our opinion that we would wish God was speaking to this morning, in God's sovereignty and in His all-knowingness, he knew you would be here and he knew this is the word that Mill Creek needs today. And in this way, then, our text and this sermon shapes us in two ways. First, it shapes us to ensure that we're following God's blueprint for interacting with elders. But it also shapes us in what we think is important. as a church, we're trying to follow God's word and we're letting it set our agenda. And since we're committing to what committed to whatever God has actually said, we've got to commit ourselves to his priorities. Soft hearts and strong minds, yes. Let's consider what Paul has to say. He has three expectations for the way that the church is going to interact with elders. Three expectations. Because he has three expectations. We've got three big ideas today. If, if Paul would have had 27 expectations, we would have had 27 points in the sermon. So you can just thank Paul someday that we only did three. I want to walk you through. I want you to lean in with me. I want to walk through God's word, show you where these things come from. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open the Bible to 1 Timothy 5, 17 is where we're beginning. Let's consider how this word shapes us. The first expectation we find from Paul is this. Members are to highly honor elders. Look with me there at verse 17. Verse 17. Where we find Paul explaining, elders who serve well should be considered a double honor. should be considered a double honor. Now, of course, in the text, the word is rule. You might say spiritual authority. But in view of those elders being called shepherds, which we saw in 1 Timothy 3, in shepherds, they are to they are to teach the flock, they're to lead the flock. Shepherds are to protect the flock from false doctrine. They're to care for the flock. Paul's Paul's building on this idea that says, since this is what elders are supposed to do, Timothy, if you've got elders who are doing that shepherding work well, they should get double honor. That's what Paul's saying. Double honor, especially for those who preach and teach. And look at verse 18. So we've got a cross-reference from Deuteronomy 25.4 about not muzzling an ox while it's working. Kids, you might notice, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is calling preachers oxen. So later on, you'd be on biblical grounds to be able to say, good sermon, Mr. Ox. You keep treading that grain. You and the elders do it. And don't put a muzzle on when you're working, which is, of course, the illustration of this ox. See, God cared about his creation, and they used to have an ox who walked in a circle and tread all this grain. And somebody in Israel decided, put a muzzle on that ox so he doesn't eat all our profits. Oxes don't eat too much profits. And God said, that's not the way to treat the creation. Let that poor ox. He j- he's a good worker. He's just big. Just let him eat some grain while he's treading the ox. Don't muzzle him. And Paul's picking that up to say, that's how you are to treat elders who get paid in the church. As they work on preaching and teaching, let them have a snack. That's a good verse. <laughs> I believe that verse. Honor. It's double honor. Don't starve the working elders." And why is that? Look at verse 18, "The labor deserves his wages. Is yours red like mine is? Do those, those chairback Bibles, do they have it as red, or is it just all black? Oh, good. I actually prefer that it be all black, but mine's red, which means that it's the words of Jesus. And if you look in your cross-references, if you've got a Bible that does cross-references, or if you've got something on the software, you might notice that the worker deserves his wages. That is a quote attributed to who? Jesus, good, yeah. Is, I, is it a trick question? I think the answer is Jesus, but I, yes, it's Jesus. That's in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. I, I want you to notice something, sidebar, that Paul, in the way he's arguing for pegging elders who especially preach and teach, he just took Deuteronomy and Matthew and Luke, and he just put them equal. Just notice what he did. Notice he just said, oh yeah, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, that's canon, just like Deuteronomy. And the only reason I'm nerding out on this for a moment is because you're going to run into people who go, oh, you can't really trust the New Testament. You can't really trust the New Testament. Of course, we trust the Old Testament because Jesus did. If, if the Old Testament is good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. Well, how do you know that the New Testament, you know, people wrote the New Testament so long after everybody was gone. Nobody Revisionist history, blah, 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 blah. According to Paul, the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke were as solid as Deuteronomy. You can trust God's word. Sidebar over what Paul's arguing for is elders are worthy of double honor. Would you guys say double honor? One, two, three, double honor. Okay, but what does double honor mean? I think Stott, in his commentary, gets it just right when he says, Conscientious elders should receive both respect and remuneration. Both honor and honorarium. I think it's exactly what Paul's saying. It's exactly what Paul's saying. If if they're working for the church and they're getting a paycheck, they should get respect. They should also get a paycheck. Which is contrary to anybody's attitude that, that would say, Actually, pastor... You know, if you're a pastor and you get paid, you don't actually need anything else from anybody else. It's okay if they don't pay you very well. It's okay if people don't like you. You should just pastor in such a way that God finds you faithful someday. That, That should be all you care for. Paul seems to have a different take than that attitude. Paul seems to get, it's hard work being an elder. It's hard work being disrespected. Paul seems to, have an expectation of the church that they would respect their elders, which I get sounds self-serving again. Uh, If you've been here with us in the sermon series, this isn't the first time that I, as a paid elder, am preaching a text to you about how you're supposed to respect me. (laughs) How convenient. (laughs) He is supposed to be on the receiving end of this benefit, and he's the one preaching it. I know, I know that, may feel weird. But as I've mentioned before and I'll mention it again, this isn't my blueprint. Okay? I didn't write it. And and my job is to try to take as best I can what God's word has said and preach exactly what it says. And and if we really believe that God's word is true and from him, then if the sermon is Aligned with what God's word says, it is as if God is speaking to you, friend. Not Jeremy. Jeremy gets it wrong all the time. But if if the sermon is faithful to God's word, God is speaking. And that's why whatever it says, I'm supposed to say. If God said, don't feed the ox while it's working, then I'd be up here skinnier and saying, don't feed the ox. If he said we were giraffe, you could call me giraffe during the break. Now, there's a tension There's a tension here because we are not to overcorrect and pretend like the elders are the hero of the church. We're not the hero. That's Jesus. Okay? We're not the hero. And yet, there is some respect that you're supposed to give elders. And and there's another tension if you're going to pay elders. We're not rock stars. You don't have to pay us Patrick Mahomes money. Of course we don't have to pay that money. (laughs) I know. And yet, if you want your pastors to live close to the building here, close enough that we could invite friends our neighbors, to come to church here. Why, you know, it's expensive to live here, so there's got to be some sort of livable way so we can try to live close. There is a tension, but, but let me try to apply this first big idea. Let me try to apply this first big idea. First, if you're a member here, if you're a member of this church, God wants to shape you, and here's the way he's shaping you in this first big idea. You are being called to honor and respect elders who are doing a good job. That's for you who are m- members. Let me, let me apply this to a different subset here. Let me talk to you elders. If you're here and you're an elder of this church, and I suppose we could extend this to life group leaders or staff or other leaders, but particularly elders in this church, hear this word for you. We need this sermon too because God is calling us to elder well. The expectation is that elders are Faithful. Which means, elders, we must never stop confessing our sin. We must be ruthless with our sin. Kill sin or it will be killing you. That's the way that thing works. You don't keep a little pet sin in a closet and feed it a little something every now and then. It's an alligator and it will kill you. Let us be ruthless with our sin. Elders, let us be courageous in confession. Let us be faithful in obedience. That's the bar for us. The church is watching us, elders. The world is watching us, too. Members, elders, let me talk to folks in here, final group, who, uh, you're not a member here, but you consider this your home church. You're not a member, but you've showed up. and, And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't think I'll ever become a member of Mill Creek. Because you're not convinced you should become a member of a church. I know it's not explicit in the text, but I just want you to consider the implicit argument about how the elders are supposed to know who to care for. See, if, if elders are supposed to shepherd a church, if, if oxen are supposed to be serving by preaching and teaching, who are they preaching and teaching to? See, see implied... In this passage, and I grant it doesn't say be sure to become a member, but implied in Paul's framework is that there is clarity on who the oxen serve and who pays the oxen through allowing them to eat. There's clarity for Paul. And in our church, in our culture, there's not clarity. And that's why we encourage you, and this is the word we use, to become a member of the church. What, What I'm trying to say is if you find yourself going, yeah, I'm following those oxen. Sometimes they stink, but they mean well. They're good oxen. If you want to follow us, oxen, well, then would you just let us know? Say, I want to follow that oxen. That's what church membership is. Here, then, Paul's first expectation highly honor elders. Let's move to Paul's second expectation appropriately confront elders. Look at verse 19. Paul's expectation. There in verse 19, we find Paul taking another Old Testament principle. This one's from Deuteronomy 19. ...and leveraging it for how to keep elders accountable. Paul's wanting good elders to be protected from a bad actor in the congregation... ...thus requiring two or three witnesses before that elder is going to be confronted. And yet, Paul's also aware that a faithful congregation must be protected from bad acting elders. And so there is a process, if an elder is a bad actor, how they get confronted. That's why Paul says... This is how you confront an elder who's not doing what they should do. And he's really building on that Matthew 18 principle of conflict resolution. In case you didn't brush up on Matthew 18 over breakfast, and it's okay if you didn't. The Matthew 18 principle is if if you have somebody sin against you who's a Christian, you go to them and say, hey, you sinned against me. And if, if they agree, yeah, I know I sinned against you, but I'm not sorry, then you go back with a friend and you do that again. And if they go, yeah, I know I sinned against you, but I'm not saying sorry, well, now this time you take an elder. And if you say, hey, you sinned against me, and they go, yeah, I know I sinned against you, but I don't care, I'll do what I want, thanks. Then stage four church discipline is excommunication. They're no longer a member of the church. That's how serious unrepentant sin is. And Paul then, building on that same idea, says, if this happens with an elder, two or three witnesses come to the elder, and they won't repent, then he says, similarly, you need to rebuke them in the presence of all. Which, look at Paul's argument. What will this do? End of 20. So that the rest may stand in fear. So that the rest may stand in fear. So that that those listening and watching would go, whoa. Unrepentant sin in our leadership is serious. And in fact, as if this isn't all heavy enough, look at what Paul says in verse 21. Look at 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, elect. Angels, are those things a thing? They are. What are they? I presume that those who were not elect angels became demons, and those who are elect angels, for those who are truly Christian, will get to meet them in glory, some sense. But Paul's saying, with all the heavenly host watching, Timothy, don't you prejudge if an elder's getting confronted. Don't presume, don't you jump to conclusion, and don't you dare play favorites. That's what's supposed to happen when you've got an elder who needs to be confronted. Tell you what, with all the sexual abuse in our churches, with pastors who've covered up their sin, cronies who have allowed bad elders to stay? With the amount of pastors who've wrongly bullied their church and not repented? For pastors who've embezzled from their church? Pastors who've just been lazy? This is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call to me too. It's sad to say, but there really are some elders who are qualified and some who are disqualified. And Paul, Paul has already showed us how is the congregation to relate to qualified elders who are doing a good job. And here then is how the congregation is to relate to those elders who have disqualified themselves with unrepentant sin. Now, by God's grace, Mill Creek, in the history of our church, 27 or whatever years this church has been around, Mill Creek has never had to have a church meeting and tell the congregation... That an elder is being rebuked and removed by god's grace we've never had to kick an elder out of the church but but the reason why the reason why is because any time that an elder has been confronted with their sin they've repented and that's what's so crucial for you to get don't think that good christians are the kind of christians who don't sin That's wrong. We all sin. The key question is, will you say sorry? Real talk. I've been here eight years. The elders have totally confronted me. And it did not feel very lovey-dovey to my heart. They confronted me. They were right. And I had to say sorry. Oh, come on, Pastor, you've you've been in front of your elder board and actually had to repent in front of all of them? Yeah. And I'm not the only one. Because we're sinners too. The difference, though, is by God's grace, we agree with God's word. And so far, he has poured his mercy out on us. And may God continue to pour his mercy of repentance on our elder board. And you could pray for us, Mill Creek members, that we would be the kind of men who lead with honesty, we would be ruthless with our sin, courageous in confession. There is this tension because we don't want our elders falsely accused. That's why several witnesses are required. And yet, we don't want to so protect the elders that a bad elder is overlooked and not addressed. That's the tension. Here then, the application. Members, you may have walked in thinking, I don't need another sermon about eldering. Give me a break. But do you see now how crucial you are, member, to protecting this church. Do you see? It's not just elders that are to police elders. Members, you do too. And, and, and if there's an elder who's, who's a bad actor, two or three witnesses, you, you, need, you need to come to me or one of the elders and say, that elder isn't doing right. They're not repenting of sin. And you're, you're part of protecting this church. Or, or God forbid if I'm not repenting of sin, you need to go to an elder, two or three, and you, Gotta deal with that attitude of unrepentance. You are responsible. Paul is taking this expectation serious. We would do well to be serious with it. Elders, elders, we need this sermon too. We need this sermon too because it reminds us about how vulnerable we are. Men, we're vulnerable. None of us have arrived. All of us. All of us have a sin nature, and all of us could drive our lives off a cliff. If we persist in sin, the most loving response is confrontation. Church, there may be time when an elder has to come confront you, and I know that feels awful. There's times where you have to confront us, and I know it feels awful, but know this. Confrontation is actually one of the most loving things a church can do for each other. Show me a church that's truly, lovingly confronting one another about unrepentant sin. That is a God glorifying church. You're really loving others when you do that. Oh, it doesn't feel loving like we've already said. But, but what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to risk my relationship with you to actually bring something to your mind that, that is sin so that you can be faithful to God. I'm going to risk comfort and what feels good in the moment for the good of your soul. That's real love. Elders, we need this because, look, if we are going to continue walking in unrepentant sin, The truth will come out. God is not going to allow His holy church to have bad actors indefinitely. And so, elders, it's a warning for all of us. If, like Achan in the Israelite camp, there's sin here, it's easy way or hard way, but the truth is coming out. And my encouragement is take the easy way, confess, because the hard way of being discovered and getting embarrassed, that's real crummy. Not to mention, God, Christ Jesus, the elect angels, they're all watching us anyway, elders. We're going to answer to them, they've seen it all. They already know what's going on. Judgment will answer. Let me speak to those of you here who, again, you consider Mill Creek your home, but you've never thought membership is important. For any non-members stuck because you still think, I want a proof text that I have to become a member, pastor. And by the way, teenagers, I'm talking to you. If this is your church home, you can become a member here. We don't have any minimum age. You can't vote till you're 16, but, but I'd welcome any student in high school ministry. Become a member of a church, learn how that works. That middle schooler who loves Jesus, love to have that conversation. I don't have a proof text that says in this section you have to be a member. But notice verse 20, because I want to show you an implicit argument. It Only take a moment. Look at verse 20, when Paul says, rebuke an elder in the presence of all. Rebuke an elder in the presence of all. Let me ask you, who's the all? Who's the all? It can't be the whole city of Ephesus. Yeah, right, like anybody in Ephesus is showing up for that meeting. Hey, you have to get all of Ephesus before you rebuke an elder. That's the only way we can do this thing. No, half the population of Ephesus is worshiping at the cult prostitutes of Artemis. They're not leaving that for a church meeting. When it can't be the universal church either. It can't be like everybody in Philippi, get your camels and donkeys, come on down, we're having a church meeting. Universal church has to gather. It can't be that either. No, I think, I think the all That Paul has in mind there what is implied is the Ephesus congregation I think that's what's in mind and and one of the reasons I don't think that Paul ever says in this letter hey if you're going to do God's blueprint for a church you make sure that those people become members of your church is because in Ephesus they would have understood just like right now in Afghanistan if you become a Christian if you get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit you're getting kicked out of your family you're going to get ostracized and you're putting your life on the line Afghani pastors, I don't think, have to have a meeting and go, we just really wanted to know if you're really ready to commit. We all know who's committed in that church. The difficulty in our culture is there's so many people who come in and come out of these doors that the pastors are going, we're just trying to figure out who wants to be cared for. Because in our culture, it's normal for people to show up at a church and think, well, I guess I'm a Christian because I showed up at that church and I sang some bangers with Ricky and the team and that was really wonderful. In case you didn't know, we have 222 members right now of our church, but on a Sunday we run somewhere in the 400s. And the elders are just scratching their head going, do all of those people who keep coming back want us to actually care for them? Because if they want us to pray with them and meet them and visit them in the hospital and care for them if they're hurting, okay, but would you just, just raise your hand and say, we would like that care. That's what membership is. Best we can. From Paul's argument, second expectation, appropriately confront elders. Let's get to the final one. Wisely appoint elders. Look at verse 22 to 25. Some read this section and they think Paul's just given a bunch of random machine gun advice, but I'm convinced he actually has a very clear purpose with these verses. Verse 22, don't appoint too quickly. That's what laying hands means, appointing elders. Paul saying, don't put an elder in the position too hastily. And Timothy... Don't participate in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, drink some wine because evidently Timothy had a weak constitution. He's supposed to work like an ox, but he ain't got the tummy of an ox, so have a little wine. I thought that was funnier than it came across, but that's fine. Verse 24 and 25, works are conspicuous. Meaning, some people do bad stuff and you can't ever tell till later. And, and so are good works. People do good stuff, but you can't tell till later. And what I think Paul is talking about is all of that indicates how Timothy is to appoint elders. Okay, Pastor, but how does how does the wine advice and the conspicuous work, how is it connected? Well, remember from context. 1 Timothy 4:1, there were these false teachers in the church of Ephesus. They were false elders ascetics. Ascetic is a fancy word for they took, they said no to good things, normal things in an effort to worship God. But the reason that they were doing demonic teaching, which is Paul's word, these people are demonic teachers because they take something like marriage that God says is good, Genesis 2, marriage is good, and they said, it's bad. And they took food that's good, God says in Genesis 9, all food is good, They're probably meat is what they're doing as well, and they say, no, meat's bad. And, and what Paul's saying is demonic, is anybody who takes what God says is good and actually says it's bad, and it's not a stretch to imagine that they're probably not drinking wine either. I didn't invent that on my own. A lot of commentators suggest that's probably what's going on here, and we can understand then that if Timothy is, of course he can't be drunk, that's that's in the, he can't be drunk, so perhaps he has allowed himself to find some alignment with these false ascetics, and so Paul actually says, hey, for the good of the church, you actually need to be a good preacher, and your stomach issues are keeping you from the pulpit, so drink a little wine. It also keeps you pure so that everybody knows you're not a false ascetic. I think that's what Paul's doing here and saying all this conspicuous works. You've got to be careful. Timothy, don't you dare put one of those false teachers into the role of elders. That'll be detrimental to the church. That'd be detrimental. Timothy, when it comes to appointing elders, go slow, stay pure, realize you can't judge a book by its cover. People are like icebergs, right? We only see a small percent of who they are. There is a tension. Don't want to move too fast. Put the wrong person in there. But you can't move too slow. You'll never know a person fully. There's the tension. Here's the application. Members, you may have walked in not realizing you needed this sermon, but First Timothy is trying to shape you in this way. The, this is the kind of person you are to vote into being a men, uh, elder here at Mill Creek. See, in case you didn't know our process, Mill Creek members, you're responsible to take any candidate the, the elders put forward, and you're responsible to decide, are they going to be an elder here? And you vote yes or no. And And... For those of you who go, yeah, I know that candidate, this is the kind of candidate we want, then you vote yes. If, on the other hand, you realize, no, that's not a good candidate, then you vote no. If you don't know one of the elders that we're putting forward as a candidate, if you don't know one of the elder candidates, then you can abstain, that's an option. If you think, I I don't know, yes or no, I'll I'll let other people who know them decide. But, But that is your responsibility, members, and we're elders always looking out for high character, Men who are leading, feeding, protecting, and caring. As one commentator mentioned, skilled, effective, and hardworking elders are always at a premium. Members, you need this sermon. This is how you decide who to vote for to become elders. And again, just to be clear, we don't have any elders in the queue that we're planning on doing this, but we will someday. Elders, we need this sermon too because we can't judge a book by its cover and even somebody who never drinks alcohol may actually not be the kind of elder we want to put in. Let's be sure to take our time, elders, when we consider future candidates. Not yet, members. You call this your church home, but you've never walked through membership with us. What I see implicitly baked throughout this passage was that these These elders in Ephesus were committed to protecting the church. And if you would like our protection, we would love to be able to protect you, and we'd just like to know that that's what you're asking from us. We'd like clarity. Didn't plan it this way, but it turns out next Sunday at 845, we're having a a would-you-like-to-be-a-member class here at Mill Creek, and it's going to be right in our student ministries room, right over there. If you're here and you're like, okay, I guess pastor, been here for a while, this is our church, but we've never become members, I guess he wants us to, do it. join us, next Sunday. Love to have you. For all of us here, I hope you've now seen the expectations and obligations for church members as it relates to elders. That's what God's word said. Here, here's my sermon in a sentence. Here's what I've been trying to argue for all morning: We are to highly honor elders, appropriately confront elders and wisely appoint elders. That's what this thing is saying. And yet, before we leave this sermon. Before I pray and we sing a song of response, consider. Consider Christian even right now. God, the Father, his son, and the elect angels, even right now, they are looking down on us. Did you know that? And there sovereignty God can see us right now. He sees your heart. He sees your thoughts. First Peter 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that, that angels are like sitting on the edge of their seat, like they're watching a movie, eating popcorn, longing to look into, how does this gospel thing actually work in a church? Angels would wish to interview you and know, how is Christ's gospel changing you? Right now, the heavenly host is considering and watching What will Mill Creek do today, October 22nd? How will they respond to God's word? Because here's your choice. You can allow 1 Timothy to shape you, or you can try to shape 1 Timothy. There is coming a day when you will stand before God, his son, with the elect angels watching, and you will be judged. For any in here, who are Christian, you have bowed the knee to Christ. Good news for you on that coming day of judgment. God will look at you because of the blood of Jesus, you will be justified. Washed white as snow, all your sins covered by his blood, the Father will say, because of Jesus, I am pleased with you. Welcome to my eternity, heaven. For those in here, who have not made Christ your Savior, you have not made Christ your Lord, you will face judgment too. And you are going to be staring down the barrel of God's wrath. God will have his justice. Someone will pay the price for your sin. Either it is his son, or it is you, an eternal, conscious punishment in hell. I'm ca- I'm asking you, and, and Holy Spirit, would you work in this moment? If you're here and you don't know Christ, there's still time. Don't try to shape God's word into what you want it to say. Take God at his word and repent of your sins. And if you do that, you'd be able to be with all true Christians from all eternity past, from eternity future. You would get to be together glorifying God. Would you pray with me that the Holy Spirit would do this work in us? Now, Lord, we are powerless, and it is impossible for us to accomplish anything apart from your Spirit. So I pray, Spirit, would you, would you take your word and would you drill it deep into the heart of your people? For Christians here, I pray you would make them more like Christ. For those here who don't know you, I pray you would save. And would you get the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.